Matthew chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already. And they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. And it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up, and they were exceedingly sorrowful. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, Yes. And when they had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes from their sons or from strangers? And Peter said to him, from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for your great, amazing word that you've provided to us. And Father, now as we worship you in the study of it, we pray, Father, that your spirit would open our eyes to the things that you want us to see, that our hearts would be receptive to all that you want to instruct us uh, about, Lord, and, and you want to speak to us, and we want to be yielded over to whatever you want to accomplish in our lives. Help us, Lord, to be, not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Jesus is in the last basic six months of his public ministry here. 
there are three distinct markers in the Gospels that is true in all four Gospels, that Jesus begins his, begins his ministry, his public ministry, at least in the Galilee region for sure, uh, with John being uh, sent to prison. And then in the middle or towards the end of his ministry in the last year, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 uh, causes people to want to t- make him king by force. And then from that point on, he starts dealing with opposition, organized opposition, and he starts saying difficult things to people to make sure the people that are there are the ones that really want to be there for his sake and not just for what they receive from him. And then at Caesarea Philippi, uh, he says to them, uh, who do men say that I am? Let's look at that. Actually, move back a little bit uh, to chapter 16, verse 15, where he says that. He says, who do men say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so G- Peter had the right answer. Jesus reveals it wasn't because of him that God revealed it to him. And then he says in verse 21, look down to verse 21 of chapter 16, we're told this, From that time Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And we saw that word began in that verse. From that time, Jesus began to show. So it's a process. This is approximately the last nine to six months. Now we're at six months here. And so he's telling them, he's trying to prepare the disciples. Half of the book of John is dealing with the last week uh, of his um, public ministry. And he's ministering to the disciples. So we're told in verse 1, after six days of chapter 17, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves. So six days has passed. And so what were these days like? What what were they thinking about? Jesus had just plainly revealed, talked to them, as we just read, about his suffering and so forth. And so I believe these could very well, for the disciples, been very confusing times and days where they're trying to process this they don't really get it yet uh, but they are still you know uh, dealing with all of this uh, to some extent and so here you know we're going to see Peter suffer from foot and mouth disease today um, as they're up on this mountain and so you know, remember, the, Peter had already taken the Lord Jesus to the side and rebuked him, telling him that he wasn't going to die. And that's when the Lord Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So he's already said something that he regretted and so forth. And today we'll see another example of that. Uh, but notice who he takes there in verse 1. He takes with them Peter, James, and John. And these men were, as it's been said, kind of the inner circle. Uh, these were the men that, that Jesus chose to reveal certain things to them that he didn't reveal to the other uh, disciples. And, and so that was his sovereign choice. Uh, I believe that they were very hungry for, for him and his word, and they, they were obedient and all these things. And, and, but still, we're not told specifically why he chose them, but he's, but he's preparing. Remember, this whole thing now is preparing the disciples for his departure. So he's focusing on these three uh, disciples here and because they're what they hear and what they see and what they experience is going to overflow to the rest of the disciples and he knows that he doesn't have to show all 12 of them him being transfigured there on top of that mountain 
And so he chooses, chooses them. And we're told at the end of verse 1 that he led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And I want to focus on those two words, by themselves, because this had not been the case. They had been completely overrun with people all this time. So much of the time, they're rarely by themselves. You know, we're talking only them, Peter, James, and John, and the Lord Jesus alone with him. And so that's where they're at. They're on the top of this mountain alone with the Lord Jesus. Verse 2, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. So it says that there in verse 2 that he was transfigured. And that's the Greek word, and we already know it. It's metamorphosis. And, and so we kind of understanding what that means. Our, now some of you know this already, so you've already been blessed to hear this before. But um, <laughs> I remember the Incredible Hulk. And I remember, you know, that show in the 70s there. And, and, and it was great having that so late at night, right before bed. And uh, I remember watching that, you know, it's green eyes and, you know, he'd just be doing something and someone would make him mad and he was just like, you know, and he had green eyes and I'm like, ugh, that's scary, you know, and he would change, you know, he would say, Mr. McGee, don't, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry, you know, because when, when he gets upset, all of a sudden he turns into the Incredible Hulk and he would transform or he would metamorphosize and it said that word right in the beginning of that opener of the show. And I remember going as a kid, it's like, I don't know, nine years old, ten years old, somewhere in there going, what is that word, metamorphosis? And I remember then later on in school, we started studying it. And I didn't get into the whole construction of the word and all that, but meta means change, and then um, morphe means form. And it specifically means the form on the inside. Sometimes it's translated nature. So it's our nature. It's something on the inside, our form on the inside. And that's exactly what happens in nature when, when things metamorphosize or they, they change. Like uh, I remember looking at a caterpillar turning into a butterfly and studying those, that, that and, or, or a tadpole turning into a frog. You know? And it, those things change from the inside out. There's nothing on the outside that makes those things turn from what they were to what the new form that they, that they take. There's no outward uh, influence at all. It's because of what they are, and they change from the inside out. And that's what, really what we're seeing here with the Lord Jesus. Nothing on the outside is happening. Nothing on the outside is making him transform. What's being transformed is from the inside out. And he's not turning into something different in his nature, but he's revealing something from the inside out there that's very profound. I'd like you to hold your place here and turn over to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, we have the best description of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, I believe, of the entire Bible. It gets very, very specific. We're going to see our word morphe again in another, in another way. Philippians chapter 2, let's begin reading in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God. That's our, our word morphe. So in some translations translate it nature but it's that word morphe, form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, 
but made himself of no reputation, taking the form, there's our word morphe again, of a bondservant, and in coming the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So we see the word form, our word morphe, twice. So he has a dual nature. Jesus is divine. And so when he came to earth, he took on an additional nature, a sinless, perfect human nature. So a dual nature there. He's not one more than the other. He's all, all of those at the same time, beyond our comprehension there. But it, notice it says, in the likeness of men and being found in appearance. Those words communicate the outward, what people can see. They could not see, nor can anyone see in us, our human nature on the inside. So people couldn't see his human nature. They couldn't see his divine nature. That's something on the inside. And then in verse 9 and 10 and 11, it says, uh, Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, and that the name of Jesus, and at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So he's going to tell them about his death, his resurrection. It doesn't end there. Philippians reveals that he would also, after that, be exalted to the right hand of of the Father and so forth. Now you can turn back to Matthew 17. So we're told in verse 2 that he was transfigured or metamorphosized from before them. So from the inside out, no outward, no outward influence. From the inside out, he's metamorphosized and we're told before them, and his face shone like the sun, his clothes became as white as the light. There's no light shining on his face. There's no light shining on his clothes. This is radiant light from his glory that comes from within that's illuminating his appearance from the inside out. It's completely different than what Moses experienced when he had the Shekinah glory on his face and, and that was there, his residual glory of God that was there. That was reflecting something from without. This is indifferent than that. This is radiating from within and it affected his clothes, his face. Everything that they saw on the outside was because of the glory that was being revealed to them from the inside. Now we're told what else happens. Look at me in verse 3. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them talking with him. Now, many people point out that Moses and Elijah represent the whole Old Testament because Moses represents the law. Elijah was considered the greatest prophet by the Jews, and so the law and the prophets are encapsulated there with them. I'm not sure how the disciples recognize them. I'm sure they didn't have name tags. You know, it's like... How do they know? And they probably, we're not told that he said they introduced themselves to the disciples, that somehow they, know, they knew uh, that these were Moses and Elijah. And I want to mention that it was God's grace, especially for Moses, that these two men were allowed to, to be a part of this because Moses was forbidden to go um, into the promised land because of his disobedience when he struck the rock, when he was supposed to speak to the rock. But God did show him the promised land, brought him up on a high place, and he could look down and see it. That was an expression of God's grace. But to allow him to, after death, 
to be there in the promised land, there with the promised Messiah. It was a huge expression of God's grace. And of course, even for Elijah, it was an expression of, of God's grace. Now, we're not told what they talk about. People have guessed, you know, when they were preparing the Lord Jesus for his departure. I don't have no idea what they were saying. I don't believe that they were the leaders in the conversation. I believe that they were hearing from the Lord Jesus. He's who he is. And, and so, you know, they're talking with him. And, and then notice Peter does a Peter in verse 4. And when Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Have you ever been caught up in a moment and said something really stupid? I have. One time I was, I was in the school of ministry, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Pastor Chuck had finished teaching one of our classes, and he got into an elevator, and I wanted to be by and talk to Pastor Chuck. I mean, who doesn't? And down there, especially at that time and everything. And so at the last minute, as the doors are closing, I jump in. And then they, they like jolt because someone, you know, got in between them or whatever. And they open again and it startled him, you know, and I, you know, the waited for the doors to close. And, and, uh, I just was kind of paralyzed and, um, you know, he pushed, you know, one cause he was going down and all I could think of to say was, you know, going down, huh? <laughs> going down. Yep. Yep. Going down. It's like, great. Nothing else to say to you right now. I wish I could, uh, but going down, huh? I said, I really, I think I really said that, and that's embarrassing. But I've said so many stupid things, you know, because you're caught up in the moment. And so we can relate to Peter. Aren't you glad that the Bible includes this? I'm sure Peter (laughs) was, okay, go ahead, put it all there, you know? I mean, it's the truth that really happened and so forth. But um, the one thing that we see... Peter do here is notice it says Peter answered and said so Peter's answering but no one was asking (laughs) no one asked him a question but he answered and and something and said Lord it is good that we're here you know you guys need shelter and you know if we weren't here then you'd be less you, you wouldn't be as well off as you are now that we're here because Moses doesn't know what to do Elijah doesn't know what to do. You, Lord, you wouldn't know what to do related to shelter or, you know, without us, where would you be? You know, I mean, it's just, he's just, doesn't know what to say. doesn't make any sense. And, and so he wants to make one for each one of you. And um, he doesn't want this moment to end. Would you? I wouldn't want it to end. I mean, now we're not even Jews. Now imagine a, you're there and you see Moses and Elijah. And you're already with the Lord Jesus. And I mean, what could, how could it get any better? Think about that. So you just want that moment to end like anything to keep it going. And if you build tabernacles, that means that if he allows you to do it, then it's going to last longer and you're going to be able to be there longer and you're going to be sleeping in those tabernacles and so forth. And, and so he just doesn't want it to end. And we understand that. But what the mis- mistake he makes is, is that he is basically putting all of them on an equal level. Because he's saying, oh, we'll just build tabernacles and then each of you can have one, you know. And it's not even close. The distance between the finite and the infinite, it can't even be measured. 
And so here he's putting them on this, this equal level. And, and, you know, Moses and Elijah didn't transform from the inside out. He's already seen the glory of God there revealed in the Lord Jesus. And he's still talking about them being kind of like the same level uh, in, in, in a sense. And he just, got, he just said a few days ago that he was the son of God. So um, now God the Father interrupts Peter in verse 5. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. As great as Moses and Elijah are, the distance between them and God the Son obviously can't be overstated. And so the Father is saying he is above all Listen to him. Listen to him. He's the one you should be focusing on completely, not anybody else. And what I really want to focus on is, is I think it's going deeper than that. I think that the father is saying, listen to him. He's referring to something very specific. What is Jesus? Why did he bring him up there? Why did he tell them what he told them six days previous? Why is he going to tell them you know, what he was going to deal with coming up, because that's the message he really wants to get through to them, that he's going to die and he's going to raise from the dead. And I think that's what he's really saying. Not only are, are, are these other two not even close to the same platform or level as the Lord Jesus, but what the Lord Jesus has to say to them is very critical. And, you know, we can do the same kind of thing related to spiritual things. We can listen to good, responsible, godly voices to the neglect of hearing Jesus directly, not just in his word, but into our hearts. And, and, and he's always communicating to us that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead. That is integral in our, uh, in our growth as disciples, to have the focus of the cross. And because if we're focusing on the cross or focusing on the resurrection, then we're thinking about other people, how they need to receive that message. And without that message, where would we be? It produces humility in us. A very important message. Verse 6. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So, so immediately, Moses and Elijah are gone. Everything's gone. The Lord Jesus is there. He's comforting them. They don't even want to look. And, and you can imagine if that happened to us, what we'd be doing as well. We'd be probably having the same reaction as, as them. And then he said um, to them, as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him saying, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? They are still focused on someone else. <laughs> God is like, he's like, I'm the focus here. Quit being distracted. That you know, television to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And, and that means that he's going to die. That means that he's going to suffer and die. He can't be risen from the dead if he doesn't die first. He's going to tell him one more time. Verse 11. Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has already come, and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. 
And we're told in other places that John the Baptist came in the power and spirit of Elijah. So he was a fulfillment of that, in a sense, where ultimately Elijah, I believe, is going to come uh, as one of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. We covered that when we went through Revelation there. But, you know, his, he came in the spirit and power of Elijah. And notice the word likewise there at the middle of verse 12. Likewise, the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Again, he is trying to get them to focus on the cross. He's trying to get them to understand that. That's what I believe the Father was speaking about when he said, hear him. They weren't getting that message. He's trying to prepare them for their departure. And he's so gracious with that, to prepare them months in advance and so forth. Even after his resurrection, he's going to appear to them intermittently before he's going to be lifted up, I mean, exalted or or, um, transcend uh, up up into heaven. He's going to slowly appear to them to kind of wean them off of himself before he is ascends to heaven now notice that they finally get it part of it in verse 13 then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of john the baptist so they they finally understand a little bit what he's saying but notice what it doesn't say they understood it doesn't say they understood about the cross and the resurrection it's like they they focused on everything but his death and his resurrection they understood about Elijah, but it doesn't say that they understood about, about him, that they're going to slightly get it here coming up, but they're still focused on almost everything but Jesus' death upon the cross and his resurrection. Verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. So much for the mountaintop experience. Now that happens. I mean, those, these are the other disciples, the other nine that were left down there, away from the Lord Jesus and the other three there. And so, um, they have, but the disciples that did go with him, they're caught up in this great, you know, thing and saw the Lord and saw Moses and Elijah and so forth and all of that. And then they come down to real problems, real needs uh, that, that are in this world. And so, you know, that's, that's, what, that's what happens. When we have spent some time with God, we have a, a great experience with him. And then reality comes back to life or just our, you know, the, the problems of life come back. And we still need to be faithful and be available for him to use us. But then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. So he had this compassion. Again, he's, he's focused on Jerusalem. He's focused on his death. He's focused on people doing horrible things to him and his suffering. He uses the word suffer there. We've already seen it. So he's he's still facing all of that, but yet he's still ministering to people. He's still healing people, delivering people. We're going to see that in these last six months before the cross. We're going to see a lot of that happen still. Now think about how hard it would be to focus on helping others and being merciful to others when you know that that's coming. You know, that's why he's so amazing. 
So he's facing that cross. And then verse 19, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, the disciples had already been sent out in pairs. They've already been sent out. They've already healed the sick. They already cast out demons and so forth, all in the authority of the Lord Jesus. But this time, it was different. This time, this one demon would not come out. Remember, Jesus wasn't there. Peter, James, and John, and the Lord Jesus were up on that mountain. The nine that were left over were there, and they were supposed to be faithful to anyone that came to them for help and for ministry and so forth, they were supposed to uh, continue all of that, even though uh, the Lord Jesus was, was not there. It's possible that these nine disciples were distracted at best uh, and you know, unbelieving at worst because Jesus was on that mountain. And they allowed that to potentially affect their faith. And and it's evident that they had changed in some way. And so they could not cast this demon out. Now, I believe that their faith didn't change their authority in Christ. Because we as believers, we have authority over the demonic realm. We can cast out demons in Jesus' name and so forth. and, And so I believe their authority was intact. But I do believe personally that their lack of faith while Jesus was away affected their ability to handle this specific situation. And I believe the reason why is because it's very possible they ceased to be dependent upon God like they were when he was with them. That they were thinking that they have a, uh, an excuse or some out, so to speak, of, of having faith in God because the Lord Jesus wasn't with them. I don't know what they were dealing with. I don't know what they were struggling with, but it's evident that they didn't have the faith that they were supposed to to have. And so I believe that this demon was a unique demon. Jesus said this kind. So he's, you know, in Ephesians 6, it talks about many different kinds of principalities and powers and, and hosts of wickedness and heavenly place, all these things that there's, there are different types of demons and so forth. So I believe that, but I also believe that they didn't need Jesus around to know that. I believe they didn't have to have Jesus there to have God revealed to them that this demon was a demon that required them to be more dependent upon God to maybe fast. And what do you do when you fast? What do you do when you pray? You express dependence upon God. When you fast, you're fasting because you recognize that you need to hear from God and you need him to speak to you and you're recognizing that, you're, that not eating or, or ceasing from eating is symbolic of your starving your sinful nature. And, and you want God to hear, or you to hear God and what he has to say and so forth. And so I believe if they'd been tuned into him while he was away, God would have told them to pray more and fast, and this, this demon would have been gone. Because Jesus is saying that, they, that, that they had a lack of faith, which means that they could have had faith. He's not going to say that they could, didn't have faith in a way, a correcting way, if they, had, if they weren't supposed to have faith. They were supposed to have faith. And God definitely could have revealed to them, this is a different type, this requires prayer, this requires fasting. And I've, I've heard of these types of, of um, possessions, 
where it takes prayer, more prayer, more fasting, more waiting upon him, more dependency upon him, and so forth. And then the person gets to free, be freed from that uh, possession. So this is, this is why God always is working in us to be consistently dependent upon him. Because there are circumstances, there are things that are unfamiliar that come in our lives that we're not prepared for, that we haven't seen before. And it doesn't fit the template of our experience. And, and so we are, are stumbled by the fact that, well, I haven't seen this before. And what God wants us to focus on is not how unfamiliar this new situation is, but how familiar we already are with our God. Because we're going we're gonna to face all kinds of different situations in life. And they're going to be different. They're not all going to be the same. But what doesn't change is our God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't show any partiality. He still wants to use us. He still loves everybody. He still wants to save and to deliver and so forth. And so we don't need to have the exact situation that we've had before every time. He can, we can experience something completely new, and it's unfamiliar because we know that God is the solution, and God hasn't changed, and he can do the impossible. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all we could ever ask or think, so that doesn't change. So he wants us ready and dependent upon him because there may be a situation or a circumstance we've never seen before, and God wants to reveal the key. For them, it was prayer and fasting. For us, it may be something entirely different. For this uh, specific situation, to meet this need, to minister, to serve, he's going to give us some information because we are dependent upon him and we're honoring him with our faith and saying, you know the answer to this. I don't know the answer to it. I've never even seen this before. Whatever it is, you have teenagers for the first time. Or you face a certain type of boss that, wow, this, is, this person's a doozy. You know, I've never experienced this before. Or a new a new challenge in life, a new relationship that is in your life or whatever circumstances, going on a missions trip for the first time, uh, stepping out in faith and obeying the Lord and preaching the gospel and you've never really preached the gospel before to someone. All these things are new and they're unfamiliar to us and we're unique. God's the same. I mean, God is unique as well, but we're unique in the sense of how frail we are and what we need to hear from him to deal with a very specific situation. And he can give us that information, but we have to go into it already knowing and trusting and believing that he is going to give us the answer no matter what we face. So that when we come into the middle of it, he, we hear his voice and we honor him with that, with that information and we act upon it. Hope that helps with that. Now, these, <laughs> I, I can imagine the conversations that happened after the disciples you know, all this blew over and everything, and um, these, maybe these nine of the disciples, these nine disciples, some of them had said, you know, um, after this kind of rebuke there of not exercising, being able to exercise this demon, you know, maybe they said, I bet you're glad you're not us. We got rebuked pretty hardcore, and then maybe someone other than Peter, (laughs) you know, uh, John or James said, yeah, but you didn't get interrupted by God the Father. Trans, transfigure fail right here, you know, to, uh, to Peter, uh, you know, so I don't know. I don't know what the conversations were like uh, there, but they, there was failings on both groups. The nine failed in the sense of not honoring God with their faith, and Peter failed with saying something 
that wasn't you know, appropriate and putting them on the same level and so forth. And that's the thing is that did God stop helping them, developing them, caring for them? No, he didn't. He was so patient. And that's what we need to understand when we fail related to saying something like that or not honoring him with our faith or whatever, that God is patient. He's gracious with us and we need to get back up, dust the, the, the you know, condemnation stuff that doesn't, God doesn't want for us and get back on that, uh, you know, get back on the, the, get back in the saddle or get back on the horse or whatever and, and focus on learning everything that he wants us to learn the, um, the next time. Now, he tells them again what's coming in verse 22. Now, while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Look at the end of verse 23. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. It finally, they finally started to allow the truth of that to penetrate their minds and their hearts. For the first time, we see them start to even acknowledge it. They would not even acknowledge it. And, and so they're, they're still not going to fully get it. They're still going to forget and all of that. But they became exceedingly sorrowful to, to realize that. And so that's a very real emotion that they felt, an understanding that this is going to happen again. How many times has he said it in the last on this day and just six days earlier, he's trying to communicate, I am leaving you, I am leaving you, I'm going away. But John, we're going to see in the book of John, that Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, I will not send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to you. So he says advantage, not just as good as, advantage, even better off than what you've been with me in person. And I'm sure that that blew their minds. Verse 24. While they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, Yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Because when kings had kingdoms, when they taxed, they didn't tax their own family. The taxes were to help support the, the king and his family and, and the nation or whatever the area that they were overseeing. So Peter answered correctly in verse 26, from strangers. And Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. So the temple tax was called, was two drachmas there. And so in this, this piece of that, this coin or whatever that was in the fish's mouth, that constituted two drachmas. Uh, and a drachma was one day's wage. Now, when I was in Israel, I actually um, played a joke on one of the people on our trip and actually had a lady put a coin in the, in the, in the mouth of one of the fish there. We, there's a place called St. Peter's Fish where it has tilapia, where the, you know, it has all the bones and everything. And so I uh, told the waitress, you know, can you just put this coin in, you know, in, the, in this ma- the mouth of this fish just to one of the students in our group? And so they, they all brought all the, the fish there. And um, I'm just waiting. I'm trying so hard to not smile and laugh because I know it's going to be hilarious. So they, the, they bring all the, the dishes, you know, and and the, it was just like Tom and Jerry. You know when they were really shocked and something? Doom! 
You know, just like those things go around their head, you know, those little lines, you know, they're dong. And he just jumped. He saw this little piece of, <laughs> this little coin in the mouth of the fish. And I see him looking at all the other, everybody else's to see, if, you know, if there's anyone else that has a coin in the mouth of the fish. And it was so funny. I couldn't help it anymore. I just started busting up laughing. But, um, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty hilarious. But this coin was equivalent of two days' wages there. And so it was a very personal miracle. It was an expression to Peter that he loved him and that he cared for him and that God isn't limited by our understanding of uh, how God provides. Because he is not limited by our jobs, by any other way that we normally receive money for taxes or anything else. He's not limited. It's not by accident that Peter had to go uh, to a fish and you know, get because he was a fisherman. He was trying to teach him that I could do the miraculous even within your own, what you're comfortable with and what I've used to provide for you before. I can do the miraculous. It was a very personal miracle. And I think it's a good encouragement for us that whatever we think of as the means by which God supplies for us, he's not limited to that. He can supply any way he wants to. He's not limited by our normal expectation related to income. And so, um, of course, we're, you know, another place he, he answered the question of taxes. Yes, we're supposed to pay taxes. He, but this is more of a lesson, not so much about taxes to Peter, but it's about God's provision and how he, Peter could, could trust God and trust the Lord Jesus to provide for his needs and, and be dependent upon him and that he's not limited by anything to provide for Peter. The first fish that he caught. And you can imagine... Imagine the doubts he could have had. Yeah, right. This is going to happen. I've fished my whole life. I've never seen a coin in the mouth of a fish. I don't know what went through his heart. But when he pulled that fish up and he saw that coin, I know he never forgot that. And when God does a supernatural thing in our lives and provides, and it's unique to us especially, it really sticks with us the rest of our lives. And we, he wants us to honor him with our faith in that. Now, as we close, I want us you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and we won't be back in uh, Matthew. So just go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. There's something I want to bring up related to what we looked at earlier in the transfiguration. Second Corinthians chapter three. I want to begin reading. I just want to read verse eighteen. Second Corinthians three eighteen. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So this word transformed, it's our word metamorphosis. Now this is related to us. It's not speaking of the Lord Jesus transformed from the inside out, as great as that was. This is you today and me. It's talking about us. It's that same word. Now remember, this word means to transform from the inside out, right? And that's why he talks about the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord at the end of the verse. Because the Holy Spirit in each one of us, if you're a born-again believer here today, the Holy Spirit inside of us transforms us spiritually from glory to glory. Notice it says, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror 
the glory of the Lord. This is the imagery of Moses. They, they, he know, they know exactly what he's talking about. That glory that shone on his face and so forth. He's saying that same glory, we're being transformed into the same image internally, inside, from glory to glory. We are becoming more and more like Jesus just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So just as Lord, the Lord Jesus was transformed from the inside out, just as a tadpole gets transformed into a frog and a, and, and a caterpillar into a butterfly from the inside out, he is transforming us from the inside out, from glory to glory. He's doing it. It's not us doing it. He's doing it. And it, obviously as we yield more and more to him, you know, that happens in an increasing way. And so we yield ourselves to him. And that should be an encouragement to us because, because we want to become more like Christ every single day. And that's what he's doing. He's making us more and more like Christ. We are growing, and he loves to produce that growth in us. So be encouraged of that. Be encouraged of when you see the unfamiliar, recognize that he's going to be the same God he's always been. And as we walk closely with him, as we are dependent upon him, when we come across the unfamiliar, we will not be left without the information that we need to seek him and to have the situation change. We will be equipped, but we want to honor him with our faith. And lastly, he wants us to trust him to meet our needs, and he's not limited to our jobs or anything else to meet our needs. Sometimes we trust in our jobs way more than we should. We need to trust in him. He's our source. He's our provider. He can do it directly, just like feeding us with ravens and, I mean, multiply fish. and lo- I mean, there's so many different ways. He's not limited by us. And he wants us to, to, to uh, honor him with our faith that he will provide no matter wh- how he does it. Whether it's fishing and getting a bunch of money. You know, you go into fish and puts in a few hundred dollars in there for you. Or, you know, he just tells you to go to your mailbox and someone wrote a check to you. Or there's so many different ways he can provide. So I just want to encourage you with those things. A great chapter. Looking forward to chapter 18 next week. Lord willing. Could come back before that. Hopefully he does. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for all that's here. Thank you for the humanity of Peter and you including that in your word. We want to be dependent upon you lord we recognize we can fail just like they did but lord thank you that you're so gracious and you give us so much hope lord that you know that that's going to happen and you compensate lord and you're patient with us and so we ask lord that you would help us as always uh, we always talk about to, to honor you with our faith lord we pray that we would grow in our faith we pray that we would grow in trusting you Lord, and and we do recognize that you can do the miraculous in our lives. Help us to just stay where we're supposed to be in our our, um, posture towards you in our hearts, to trust you that you can do what only you can do. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.